Hello, 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 hello. Miles. Hello, Happy Julie. Wednesday. Thank Thursday. you Thursday. so much. It's Thursday, but oh, okay. I appreciate the well wishes for Wednesday uh, <laughs> retroactively. <laughs> it's probably Wednesday somewhere. I don't know. Surely. Um, so we have a big topic today. We have a huge, enormous topic. And I want to just throw some things out there that we may or may not get into. And I have a feeling this could already be a two-part episode. We're talking about human beings becoming brands. When a human being has become a brand, what the implications are, what sort of responsibility comes with that, and all of those big, intense things. So a few things that come to mind as I set the stage for this. One, Glennon Doyle. Two, Donald Miller. <laughs> Three, people like Rachel Held Evans, who, I, and I guess like maybe everybody start like, I think when I started my writing, I was, you knew it, you knew me. It was www.julierogers.wordpress.com. I had a little photo with my ex-gay hair and a pink shirt on. <laughs> and the idea of being a brand was the furthest thing from my mind. I didn't know that existed. I just knew, like, I want to connect with other people and, like, offer hope to people who might be struggling. And at some point, the number of people who were a part of that community with me grew and much later down the road, people started me asking me questions about what my personal brand was. <laughs> and they would sort of suggest going through exercises like a company does, like a for-profit company and nonprofit company about like identifying your brand, identifying your target audience and sort of sharing messages in a way that sort of optimizes, you know, what it looks like to reach that target audience. And for the most part, I didn't explicitly ever do that because I wasn't ever trying to sell people anything other than like feeling less alone. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> this is a long introduction, I but I say all that to say at some point, you know, so I always rejected that consciously. And at the same time, I've had friends over the years, just like acknowledge and name how my public voice is different than my private voice. My public voice is very like, Hey friends, exclamation point. I have this like really warm, encouraging thing to share with you. And then my private self or more of just like my everyday self is like a little darker, a little more cynical, a little more, um, yeah, just like less bright sidey, even though I am at heart an optimist. And so there's the sense of which like what's what's intentional, what's unintentional. And then there's the sort of eventual responsibility that comes with people really identifying with you closely and feeling personally like they're personally affected by you and some of those people that I named, like when they change or when they evolve. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know where exactly we're going to dive in with this because those are many things, but I thought you of all people would have some of the most profound insight into this phenomenon and help us begin to find our way in terms of what our responsibility is as those who share publicly and the varying degrees of what that looks like and also what are helpful sort of tools or insights for people who are following the work of quote unquote brands slash humans mm -hmm. and how can they guard against feeling overly invested in hurt or like led astray by personal evolution from those people. Yeah. Wow. Woo. Um, big questions. Um, <laughs> I, 
I actually was thinking about the time in your life when you were being encouraged, um, you know, by friends in sort of the professional writing space to develop a more coherent personal brand. <laughs> and and by coherent, what they meant was um, targeted. Mm, mm-hmm. And what that uh, evokes for me is this this idea of what it means to commodify our identities, mm. um, to transform our personality into a form of goods and services. Mm-hmm. And I think on my, my impulse reaction to that, you know, is ill. Um, I hate that um, mm-hmm. in part because we are people, we are not goods and services. However, um, I, I do think that there is a way that, that wouldn't, it doesn't have to be transactional for that to be true. I think throughout uh, recorded human history, we've all participated in, people have participated in society in sort of a goods and services kind of way. Um, now, this looks different from, you know, one economic structure to the next. And so the real danger is what people uh, who have their personality turned into goods and services um, experience under capitalism. Mm-hmm. And so um, to avoid kind of uh, rabbit trailing in that direction, this is not a critique of, you know, economic systems exactly. Um, but um, <laughs> it is to say that this is something that happens. Um, mm-hmm. And through the commodification of identity, we have a brand culture. Um, and this is why a person like yourself um, receives the explicit or implicit advice um, to pursue identity um, the way that a corporation pursues identity. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's almost exactly the same from one to the next, right? It's about um, naming your values, ex- expressing your mission statement, and then setting up um, certain practices in order to live into both of those things. And what I am interested to hear from you um, is <laughs> uh, what kind of fatigue you know comes from that exercise when you're having to perform your identity. Um, And you can talk about that um, from the days in which that was happening in exclusively Christian spaces. But I'm also interested to hear you talk about the way that that has unfolded in Christian adjacent, but more directly like queer spaces. Um, So Mm -hmm. what what was the commodified Christian identity for you and what is become sort of the commodified queer identity, um, looking at those two things. I think what it, it leads first and foremost to reticence on my part. There are a lot of things that I would like to just share out of an overflow and an abundance that I don't because I feel a, and this is say, I have like, this is such a small scale (laughs) compared to how many, so many people experience it. So like, I can't even begin to imagine what this is like for people with very large followings who actually do make money in a way that feels like my vocational identity has felt tied to my work in the sense of like, this is where I, so much of this has been like the core of my sense of like mission in life. And at the same time, I haven't ever made much money off of these things. And so it's, and I don't have dependents. So this is just like a 
yeah, so that with those caveats, I would say I do feel a real sense of probably like responsibility isn't the right word, but you know, when so many people will reach out to you and say like, Oh, I feel so much hope. Like you give me a sense of hope that things could be okay or that I can come out and, and maintain, hold on to my relationship with Jesus and maintain this faith or find a partner and have this sort of marriage. That's just like yours. There's a sense in which, you know, you, I wonder like, well, what if I change and I will change? I don't know how, but I will continue to change because that's part of being life and it's part of being alive. We all do. And Amanda and I brought that on ourselves in some ways in our relationship by sharing so much publicly, but it was a weird thing where we would just share about ourselves and our lives and what was bringing us joy and people were connecting that in, in a, with that in a way that there was a sense of then pressure and expectation upon us mm-hmm. because we were like representing something. And so it's led to, in terms of exhaustion, it's led to me usually starting to go through a personal evolution for that usually is a couple years. And this, I can think of this before I left ex gay land and felt like that was harmful to the time leading up to becoming affirming to the time leading up to, uh, separating from Amanda, though those are all very different kinds of evolutions and in no way comparable, but they're just big things that my identity is currently tied to publicly that I understand I'm changing in a way that may not include that in the future. And it leads to a lot of pressure, a lot, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, because I'm both going through what the implications of that transition or evolution might mean in my personal life, and also what that might mean for the people, the work I do and the people I care about who feel connected to that work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what is, makes me think about is how something something happens to us i think psychologically when our livelihood is based on what you believe right now um Mm -hmm. what happens when the connections you've formed and uh, the relationships you've built and the professional status you know one might have uh, is is predicated on not changing your mind, you know, not changing mm-hmm. your uh, relational structure that you are participating in, in continuing to believe what you've always believed the way that you believe it. And, you know, you mentioned a few folks at, you know, the top of our call, Donald Miller, Rachel Held Evans, and Glennon Doyle. And these are all um, people, white people. It's yeah. Having. Um, who, who are, you know, are, were writers, you know, people who had sort of a very public, uh, faith identity, if nothing else, um, from the very time they started publishing, started putting their work out publicly and their mind changed on different topics. And we all, you know, who were following their work watched this public um, shift and watched the public scrutiny um, and in some cases watched the public praise. And I think that there's something um, something that doesn't feel good to me about mm-hmm. um, that journey and that process. And I think what doesn't feel good to me is, it, um, at least in my you know, point of view tends to um, like limit or like circumscribe how much that person is allowed to grow, is allowed mm-hmm. to change, is allowed to be different. Um, and the other thing it does is it takes away somebody's right, you know, to have a, a different public voice than private voice. Um, we expect uh, someone to be 
that t- for them to be consistent means for them to be exactly the same publicly mm-hmm. as they are privately. And while I think that is great um, when we are talking about values, we're talking about morals, we're talking about uh, like ethical integrity, but I don't think it's great when it comes to uh, you know, one's actual like personality. And so you also mentioned um, how your public writing voice uh, tends to be um, perceived as really warm, enthusiastic. Uh, the use of exclamation points, you know, is commonplace. Whereas <laughs> it, it, in a more personal way among family and close friends, uh, your, I, I would call it your, your deeper register voice, um, <laughs> less exclamation points, not necessarily gloomy, but a little bit more, um, less of the optimism, more of the realism and, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, propensity toward, uh, holding tension and mystery and, um, darkness the dark the darker shades you know mm-hmm. are alive and well in that that space um yeah i i think i often feel compassion for people in a situation um like you have experienced for a lot of reasons and, and these other you know authors and public thinkers that we've mentioned because um it is exhausting you know to yeah. try and be responsible and considerate and careful, you know, of the, mm-hmm. the words you are choosing, you know, to put out for the world to see because of, you know, something I've, I've heard called the burden of representation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially, I'm not really thinking about Donald Miller right now. I'll say of that. Course. Um, but I'm thinking more about, I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about other uh, queer and trans people. I'm thinking about people of color. I'm thinking about uh, people uh, living with disabilities. Like, to the extent that you are a part of a group uh, who is often underrepresented or marginalized, especially in, in the media, however we're thinking about the media, um, public, I, uh, I'll say that, you you are put in a position where you are asked to be all things for all people in a way that other folks who've not had those same historical issues with representation never are asked. And, and so unfortunately the outcome is that of that is many people's hopes, dreams, desires to see themselves are then mapped onto you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that, and that's why I asked that question about fatigue because I do think that so much of your identity and your you know partnership became that for people. It it was a an ideal or a dream um, that they wanted for themselves. Finally, getting some airtime. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in a in a big way that they hadn't seen up until that point, and uh, I I just can't imagine what the day to day of that really feels. I guess I can't imagine because I'm sitting here in my body feeling worn out <laughs> from just thinking about what what that's been like. Well, I also wonder for you, and you know, you've had a public presence for a long time and you've been in positions of visibility and leadership in various ways. And you've gone through a lot of personal evolutions. Like how have you experienced engaging with these ideas? And again, we're both not Glennon and Don Miller levels of notoriety and money-making. And that's a whole conversation in itself. And like what, like, you know, why that is and what that related, you know, obviously (laughs) there's a lot of clear reasons why that is. And also uh, whether that changes a sense of responsibility, like, is there more of a responsibility based on your identity and your social location? Is there more responsibility based on the money you're making 
from your work? Is there more responsibility based on your attempt to try to be making money versus being in it for just a sense of offering hope and solidarity to people? Or is really individuals are allowed to be humans and share their their thoughts, feelings, and ideas, and mm -hmm. the responsibilities on those of us reading, quote unquote, consuming what mm -hmm. they're putting out. And I say all of that, and then also bring it back to, I'm curious for you, how you've interacted with all these ideas and your own process. Yeah. Um, well, the first thing that, that comes to mind for me is through my own personal journey uh yeah like I've kind of lived out loud what was going on in my interior life you know something we talked about last time was um the expectation and the demand for us uh to disclose everything about our interior world and as a result um uh the the damage you know that is sort of like <laughs> wrought when a person is put in that position and even though you know my early years were not um cast upon the exodus international stage uh i was having to talk out loud in front of groups of people whether it be my church or a class in a college i was you know put in this position where there was a, a public dimension of who I was and what my, you know, spiritual trajectory was. And it gave me enough of a taste of um, public figure status to know I never wanted that. I, it was ne that wasn't a, something I wanted to choose. That was not a life that felt good to me. It wasn't desirable in any way, shape, or form because for me, being a public figure, even at like the micro level, put me in a position where I was under such extreme scrutiny and perpetual critical feedback that I knew like, ah, I, if this is what it's like on just like a local church level, you know, a local Christian college level, I don't ever want this to get any bigger than it already is. And yet, <laughs> and yet, <laughs> for so many of us, this is what ends up happening. And I'm not, I think for you and I in particular, this, yeah, it's never been connected to money because the whole point of us speaking about what we speak about has been about healing has been about freedom, has been about finding a way, you know, for folks who feel lonely, who feel dejected, who have been outright outcasted from their families and from their communities. And, you know, to, to borrow a world from, or a word from those Christian experiences, it's, it's been about evangelism and, and sharing good news and wanting, you know, to um, shine a light, you know, you know, for other folks who are sort of stumbling through, um, what it means to be healthy and to be well and to be, um, you know, uh, a, a human person in this world. Um, so I think for myself, um, I've really, fought against this idea of being a public figure. And I also recognize that as long as I'm talking about these things with a sort of like education, like ethos behind what I'm doing, I'm going to be put in a position um, where that's how I will be treated. And mm -hmm. so the question then becomes, how do we do that healthily? You know, how do yeah. we do that in a way um, that is sustainable? How do we do that in a way um, that models um, something that is going to be life-giving for people. And that is the question I live. Uh, and I'm, I, I would like to know for you then, how, what does boundary setting look like? You know, and, and what, 
what does it mean for you to be accountable? What do you take responsibility for? What do you not? Um, and how do you set up your time, you know, so that you can keep sharing good news with people when you have it? I think I like the idea of like, how do we do this healthily? And then I also want to think about how do we engage with brand culture healthily as quote unquote consumers. And I laugh because it just feels so gross. Um, to use that language and it's a complicated topic, but in terms of how do we, how do we do it? How, how do we be like kind of public figure adjacent healthily? I think the first thing that I've continually kept front and center is money and the way money holds power over us in ways that we kind of can't, we're almost incapable of managing, I think, once it starts coming in and taking over. And so I have at multiple points in my life walked away from financial security that was tied to the a position I occupied publicly and gone back to working in restaurants while I figure out my next move. <laughs> And those are both decisions that it was, I had financial security, whether it was because of job or relationships that I wouldn't have on the other side of sharing something about myself publicly. And I think that's helped me stay true to who I am and who I'm becoming and to know that I'm not, I, I have other options. I will do harder things. I will be uncomfortable in the work I need to do to maintain a sense of integrity between who I am and how I show up to the world in public ways. And so that's been a big choice that I've continually made. And I hope I continue to make. And, um, Another is being okay with as okay as possible with losing people along the way. Like I've never been someone who actively tries to gain followers or build my platform or scale anything because I don't think that's a healthy goal. And I think that that's also like both money and scaling in that way, like the size of our platforms it are are overtly playing into capitalism where like we've talked about ways that we subconsciously are affected by it and the negative impact that has and how some of it's unavoidable. And then there are ways that we can overtly play into it and try to capitalize on the work we're doing publicly. And I've tried to actively resist doing that. And there is a way in which we can engage and be writers and do interviews and have conversations that is that we, that like we need to be able to imagine doing that outside of a capitalist model, just like, you know, Dorothy day was a writer and thinker and wasn't seen as a brand at mm -hmm. that time. People have been doing this kind of work for a very long time yeah. and there's meaning in that. And it's not just vanity and, a desire for money and power. So I think like sort of maintaining a North star that is connected to the, that, that is outside of our context a little bit or transcends our context a little bit, our capitalist context while still understanding what we are currently rooted in and the implications mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, what I'm hearing in that is being committed to groundedness I, I think is one of the uh, most basic ways um, to really be about the work that you say you're about. And I think there's different ways to pursue that groundedness. Um, but I think we, many of us know people who started down that kind of public figure trajectory and at some point they lost touch. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I, to kind of look at this on a macro scale, I think about uh, the, the, what, what people have looked at as personal evolution around like Jay-Z and Beyonce in terms of them like speaking out and up for the movement for black lives and how, you know, many people it, were only recently under the impression that these two celebrities, you know, had the politics that they have. And yet um, there's a reason why that's true. Right. It's not that these views were something that they developed overnight, you know, or connected to one particular incident or uh, moment, you know, of uh, racial consciousness. But um, we're likely a part, you know, of how they conceptualize their identity uh, from childhood forward. Now, that being said, I don't think it's by chance that they were able to become like more outspoken um, during a time, you know, in the world's like reckoning around racial justice and around anti-blackness in particular, where they could do that without losing um, mm. a lot. And yet, at the very same time, I thought about critiques, you know, I've seen and read like about how Beyonce and Jay-Z message you know about racial justice and the first thought i always have when i read those critiques is what is this person's expectation <laughs> yeah uh for these two celebrities who have been celebrities and who have been wealthy all for more years of their life than they have not mm. um you know uh, like a lot of people as they think about beyonce in particular they think about her solo career Maybe they think about Destiny's Child, but they certainly aren't thinking about Girls' Time, which was her childhood, like, professional, like, singing group. And so mm. from the time she was very little, she was a public figure. Mm. And so her consciousness, her politics, all of those things uh, were being informed by having, like, uh, emerging celebrity status. Mm. Um, and so... Uh, I, I had I had no like I was not under the assumption that she was going to be connected to grassroots movements. You know, what was <laughs> yeah. actually happening on the ground, um, and yet, like I want to believe that she finds ways, you know, to mm -hmm. do that, to reconnect, and to be to have some kind of pulse uh, on where the movement is and what their asks are, and how to leverage like her platform in order to advance um, those goals. But um, mm. to kind of bring it back to like our, <laughs> our level, um, I, I just think about what it means to, to come out again. You know, I know we addressed that in our previous conversation, but to me, the quote coming out uh, experience is is all about what we're talking about here and, and what is public versus what is private, what the expectations are and what that moment is supposed to mean for people or the way it's structured, you know, by society to mean in any given moment and how we relate to that intuitively. Something that you and I've talked about in offline conversations is how when we start to experience change personally um we, we unconsciously start to test that change mm -hmm. among friends and among family we are presenting ideas and messages through what corporations call a a slow rollout <laughs> you know of of a rebrand and mm -hmm. essentially like we are gaining data about how people in our life are going to react to us talking more openly <sighs> about something true of ourselves. And mm. I, I think we inherited that from, yeah. from the cultures we've been a part of is, is that the, the way to stay the safest mm. in sharing new information about ourselves that we have seen uh, poor reactions to is to, over time, 
just uh, to like give a little bit of information piece by piece so that the people in our lives can handle it. And it, it's like a change management strategy, essentially, that we are conducting. And, and I think you and I do that because of the brushes with like public figure status that we have incurred over the years there there's a way that we are trying to help people support people um be able to hold new information or different information and and that's for better or for worse right like mm-hmm. there's something nurturing maybe about that but there's also <laughs> I think it's a trauma response too. <laughs> like, it, it, it definitely is. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. almost a, something pathological about needing to give people every piece of information that we can possibly give them on a longer timeline in order for them to be kind to us. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oof. It hurts. <laughs> Yeah. It hurts. Um, yeah. Yeah. Capitalism. I mean, I, <laughs> when I was sharing with several different people in my life that I am transgender, I more or less created these like PowerPoint presentations to like walk the people I knew would have the hardest time um, with me sharing that about myself through my whole life and basically be able to say, okay, like this is what this meant when I was five years old. This is what it meant when I was 10. This is what it meant when I was 15. And I sort of gave them evidence or data in order to demonstrate the validity of my gender identity. And again, I did that because I want, I do have like a kind of educator's orientation <laughs> to mm-hmm. the world in general, but I think I have that because of a survival uh, mm-hmm. adaptation. If mm-hmm. I can give people more information about who I am and why I am the way I am, then they are more likely to treat me better. Mm. At least that was, that's been my assumption. Yeah. And sometimes it is true. It's really sad that it's, (laughs) that it's like, that's a trauma response that sometimes works. (laughs) And then sometimes even that doesn't work, which is just like, this conversation keeps getting sadder. (laughs) Right. Right. But yeah, it is. um, And I also wonder, you know, as we're having this conversation, I think about a lot of people I know who aren't uncomfortable with the idea of personal brand profiting off of having followers who are maybe even in the business of buying and selling followers. What do we think of that? (laughs) Like, is that, is there, is there something inherently wrong with that or is, are we just going to be like, Hey, you're on a different path. You do you. That's not how I see to be healthy, but maybe you are working out health and well-being in a different way. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so I guess I, I do have friends who that's true for, and their career is, is predicated on the, a, a personal brand. And in conversations with them, I've asked, you know, how do you keep yourself healthy? Like, how does this work for you? And they take those questions very seriously. They are, they're never mm. responding from like a posture of defense. And I can tell it's, it's something that they wrestle with. Mm-hmm. And a part of it for them is separating um, the work from the self. And that, and that doesn't mean that they are, it's a dichotomy, but there are distinctions Mm -hmm. and the level of accountability they hold themselves to um, is connected, you know, to those distinctions. And one of the main 
reasons they continue to pursue their work the way that they pursue their work is this idea, you know, that through amassing more followers, for example, their work and their messages, their ideas are able to be spread more easily. It creates more access and it advances, you know, a lot of these really positive messages in the, in the name of like social and environmental justice. And so for totally them, building that platform is less about, uh, it's not a self-aggrandizing thing so much as it is like a movement building tactic. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, those are my, like, those are, I have several specific friends I'm thinking of when I, as I'm reflecting on this, but I do know that there are other influencers uh, that exist who really profit from, you know, brand culture. And my question for them is like, okay, well, what are you, who are you influencing and what are you influencing them toward? Mm-hmm. And for many of them, they don't have the answer that I just described. Yeah. And it's their brand is like hot, carefree, good vibes <laughs> only. <laughs> Yeah, yoga poses on the beach. Yes, and they would say, you know, that their brand is something like health and happiness. And so then my question is, well, are you healthy and happy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and I don't think they've ever really been able to define that for themselves because I think influencers who are influencers for the sake of being influencers are really digging themselves into a hole. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's not about advancing a movement or advancing justice work. It's about themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. and at most it's about encouraging people to be like a good person, Mm -hmm. but it's never delineated exactly what that means. You know, what is their ethical framework? We don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then they may not know. Right. And so I, yeah, I'm not willing to say that playing into or benefiting from brand culture is within itself a bad or an evil thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think we, there are too many examples of people utilizing that for good. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I do. It's dangerous. It's precarious. Mm-hmm. It's something that I think has to be held and pursued with a lot of conch, ca- caution mm-hmm. and um, checks and balances, kind of, kind of built into the work that you're doing, um, professionally and personally. Having people in your life who can check in um, mm-hmm. and that you give space to. Um, to call you in, you know, and, mm-hmm. and to ask, you know, how it is that you're doing what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing and what the implications for that are uh, on other people, you know, who mm-hmm. are, you know, following you, both like mm-hmm. technically, <laughs> um, but also philosophically. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it, I think it just raises the sense of, responsibility a, a person should have. Um, if that yeah. is the road you are choosing to walk down, a- acknowledging up front, it's a harder road. Mm-hmm. Or um, even if it's a road you didn't choose to walk down, right. but have found yourself occupying, like quote unquote leadership is an interesting idea in terms of like, sometimes leadership is bestowed by a title or an, or- or an organization and something that you take upon. And sometimes leadership is organic. Like we saw leaders, quote unquote, in like various schools we were in mm-hmm. that it was just had to do with who they were and how people responded to them. And it may not matter whether somebody intentionally takes on a role and or like the responsibility is there either way if we want to be positive presence, a positive presence in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, I mean, what that makes me think about too, is how 
our our society rewards charisma mm-hmm. and because I think for you and me again like never interested in like public figure status for the sake of public figure status but like do I have some things to share with the world yes um that I hope benefits the world yes but to the degree that I've ever been given an opportunity to share it has less to do with my message itself I think and more to do with charisma with Mm -hmm. being a person who's interested in people who is you know chatty uh who reads and has ideas and reflections like that that is for better for worse rewarded socially Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that is how many people find themselves Mm -hmm. in some type of leadership role is because they happen to have a personality um, that is sort of like thrust into that position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. This is all very true and relatable. What do you think as we're winding down our time, like what do you think are ways that we as follow, like followers and for, like the words are all failing me. I can't find good words, but those of us engaging with other people's work how can we be healthy in our attachments to them mm-hmm. and in our understanding of the sort of personal, professional, personal public divide and allowing them to continue to evolve and grow as humans? Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of writing on this phenomena of parasocial relationships you know, mm-hmm. that, that is a relationship you form without a direct connection to a person. Mm-hmm. And so the most common way this happens is through what we're talking about here, public figures and celebrities, where you have a deep sense of being connected to someone who you may not have ever or will ever actually meet in person. And so to me, being able to understand that phenomena and being able to recognize like, wow, I really appreciate or benefit from this person's work. That doesn't mean I'm in a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. Like that level of consciousness, I think is a really smart way um, to engage influencers, celebrities and public figures is to note um, that you are not actually in that person's life. Mm-hmm. And you don't actually know that person. You know their work. You know their public presentation of their personality. But you are not friends with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a bad thing. That does not mean that you're not a wonderful, valuable person. It just means that you have not actually formed a relationship with them. It is a parasocial relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I think along those same lines... The next thing, too, is to kind of build in to our way of relating to one another as people who will change, people Mm -hmm. who will grow. Uh, I I think of the personality as a dynamic thing that is fluid and it changes over time and is influenced and is afraid and is excited and has passions. And those things ebb and flow. And I think as we think about other people and we think about ourselves, there needs to be permission um, to to change and to Mm -hmm. be different and to um, shift, you know, to whether that's in our personal or our professional life, the, Mm -hmm. that, that is always a possibility. And I think if we even begin to expect that of ourselves and of other people, we can create a more sort of like generous, ecosystem around brand culture, brand identity, and that sort of thing for, for individuals. I like all of that. And the only thing I, and I guess with that, one thing I would add to is to have a healthy, like to differentiate between ourselves and those people we really connect with. I think a lot of the reasons that I see people have a challenge with public figures evolving or growing is because they come across this person's writing or videos or whatever it might be, and they think to themselves, maybe for one of the first times, like, oh, 
they exist in this way that's similar to me, I might be okay. And then they evolve over time. And maybe like, um, so in my own life, I come out as gay and a certain kind of evangelical Christian at one point. And people could see that and go, oh, okay, I might be okay. Or maybe evangelicals in my life were like, hey, people with str- who struggle with same-sex attractions might be okay. And then I evolved beyond that. And suddenly it was like, oh, no, maybe I'm not okay. Maybe those people aren't okay. And the reality is like, you're, okay, you're going to be okay based on the decisions you make for yourself in your life. And also the conditions that you, you know, of the context you find yourself in. Mm-hmm. And it has that person's evolution, that person continuing to exist in that space and that way has literally no bearing on your personal health and well-being. You just over-identified with them or I over-identified with them and formed an attachment that gave me a false sense of security. Even if Mm -hmm. it was, even if I did draw a sense of hope from the fact that, you know, somebody was able to give voice to something that I was experiencing in solitude and then, you know, within just myself that I didn't feel safe to share. So I don't know, having a healthy sense of like, it's one thing to find hope and inspiration from other people, but also don't over identify with them because that, that, that work of being okay and ultimately thriving in the world is our own and something lived out in our immediate communities and has very little to do with these public figures and public conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's a good way. And if you have the means, get in any kind of therapy or therapy adjacent work, even if that's through books and groups, um, because that kind of work really has been transformative for me to, oh yeah, we didn't get into the exhaustion of personal growth though. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's, that's the next conversation. (laughs) Miles. It's always really great to connect with you. You have so much wisdom and I know we'll dip back into these things, but I just appreciate sort of the generosity you bring to these conversations and the complexity that you bring to them. Well, thank you. I feel the same about you and so far so good. I'm having a good time. (laughs) All right. Chat soon. Bye. Bye everyone.